and welcome to episode 160 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav Love here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, Love, my online remote friend, how are you? I'm doing great, yo. I love your shirt. I would wear that shirt. Dude, so this shirt, okay? Tell me about the shirt. So this Fit shirt- check. So this this is this is one of the, the shirt I was so I'm in the trying I'm in the trying on room the fitting room as they're called I believe the fit check uh, room I think they call it the now. fit check room maybe like six weeks ago like forever twenty one yeah mm-hmm. and um Jonathan Crew James Crew mm. okay sure, so sure, sure. I'm in, it's in this and I I have a gift certificate from the in laws and I'm trying on some stuff and I'm moderately okay with it and then my wife brings me this shirt it's it's like thirty five dollars. From the sale rack, okay, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, this is perfect. It fits perfect. It feels good. It's you know, it's a nice, a nice flannel. I go to ring it up, okay. You know how like everything that's on sale is always on like extra sale. Yeah, an extra fifty. It was like literally like a twenty dollar flannel from Jonathan Crew that was like a hundred and ten, like OG price. Sweet. Yeah. So I'm. This is my new favorite shirt, and it was really cheap. Don't tell anybody. Stan, you're in your favorite shirt right now too, aren't you? Oh, the oh, the fries shirt. My my, my fries shirt. I I was gonna say. <laughs> also, that's the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. Also in a shirt that I love that I would wear. Is it a, is it a denim jacket? Is it a denim button down? Somewhere in the be- between. I love them no matter what. This is my chambray. This is my favorite shirt actually. This is my chambray. My my uh, cowboy snap chambray that I love to wear. That I have tried to buy multiple copies of and I can't find anywhere. If you know a place to get a good chambray snap. Uh, get at us on Twitter. I'd love to love to hear about it because I got this one from Stitch Fix one time, and now I, you know, I can't get it again because the, because they don't have real brands on Stitch Fix. I don't no, know if you've that's, ever done that. Yeah, but. Dave, how are you feeling about Stitch Fix lately? I canceled my account. I finally canceled it. Uh huh. Sorry, Stitch Fix. Get at us. Yeah, sponsor, sponsor <laughs> podcast. Uh, Shane, I, I'd love to listen to your stories, but I am looking at the Google Doc right now and. Someone is madly clicking around their cursor in the Google Doc, and I can click, see it. It click, says click. the dive down click, the dive down click, and there's just this green cursor moving around in the opening paragraph. What are you doing? You're talking and clicking at the same time. Could you just keep your hands off of it? You don't do that? No. You don't just wildly Nobody click. does that. You don't highlight things? I no, do I'm when just... I want Stan to pay attention to what I'm going to say. That's see, when okay, I highlight I, I things. Thought... I knew that someone did this technique as well, and I'm glad that we're all on the same page here. But what I don't do is cause like a have cause like a strobe show in the middle of the document while while I'm talking about a story of a shirt I got for twenty dollars at Jonathan okay. Crew. Well, this, uh, His name's well, not even this, Jonathan Crew. What is it? I don't know. It's just Johansson. Whenever I see Shane clicking around, I try to figure out the beat in his head of the melody he's hearing, and that's what he's trying to click to. Mm. This is a good bit. On this week's show, we cement our first impressions of Neon Dynasty, the latest revisit to Kamigawa. Well, I needed to cement these. I thought it was just like sort of, you know, plaster cast. No, these are going in the permanent record. We're also going to kick off the show with a breakdown that will be another installment of our modern monthly report. Looking at results week to week, it has felt like Hammer Time has been in a downswing but let's see if the data bears that out. And then finally, we have a brief wind down planned where your boy Stan, which is me, shares a glimpse into his, mine, experiences playing Legacy. Does that maybe involve a glimpse of nature by any chance? Oh, a lot of glimpses 
into nature, let Perfect. me tell you. All right. We're going to save that for the, the wind down. Legacy, it's another Magic the Gathering format. But first, some housekeeping. Shout out to the newest patron to join the Dive Down Nation, Garrett A. L. It was, you know, it's one of those hyphenated last names where it's like mm. an A name and an L name. So let's just say Garrett A.L. Thank you for joining the nation. Also, shout out to a couple of new reviews from Spatu and Jeppe Fugel. Maybe it's Jeppe Fugel. Jeppe Fugel. From Denmark. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah. Like, so that 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 offensive accent, I apologize for Jeppe Fugel. Probably like Jeppe Fugel. Well, we, we appreciate you both. I noticed that Spatu said that they are now a less bad Magic player, and they also know way more about the Chicago Magic scene. Hopefully, that's use that second half is useful to you somehow. I think we got we got Yepe Fusial. No, no, it's Garrett Al. Garrett Al. Yeah, oh, nice. Dark Horse. We we got Garrett Al in the Twitch chat. This oh. has never happened before. Garrett, grab a mic, hop on the episode. You win this this week. Come on down. You're the next contestant on the Dive Down is Right. So if you if you want to join Dark Horse slash Garrett A hyphen L, you can go over to patreon.com slash the dive down. As little as a buck a week gets you into the definitively discreet dive down discord. It's you know, it's it's as good as ever, I think. The Discord has been a a, a consistent place of magic solace for me. Over the, you know, since what it's been like two and a half years since we've had the Slack and then transitioned into the Discord and it's, that's which is wild isn't that wild to think yeah it's wild and the community the community has been growing and has maintained its awesomeness so I we appreciate all of you out there in the Dive Down Nation and anyone new who wants to join and if not do think about supporting other content creators we know it's it's a it's a tough time out there or not necessarily tough it's just a changing time potentially tough and so. If there's a content creator out there that you like and have wanted to support, think about supporting any one of us. We're a community and uh, keep us all afloat. And if you'd like to support us while playing Magic Online, check out Manitraders.com, who we've been working with pretty much since the beginning of this podcast now, when you look in the rearview mirror, uh, where we rent our cards for Magic Online for Modern and Pioneer and things like that. Maybe even Legacy Stan probably did that. Um, So go to Manitraders.com. Use code the dive down 2022 all one word, to be able to get 15% off your first two months of Magic the Gathering rental cards. Manitraders.com. And finally, you know, we got to talk about grooming man. one more time. Man. Yeah. Who's been grooming this week? Okay. Stan, you I, look uh, lined up. It, yeah, Stan, is, you look Isn't good. it obvious? You look lined up. Yeah. Did you did you fix yourself up? Yeah. I You know, I had a big family gathering yesterday. Mm. Big, big old gathering of the families. Mm-hmm. So I had to look my best. I lined myself up. I used my lavender beard oil. I've been growing out my beard because it's really cold out. So I need it's all, like half an inch longer. All the insulation I can get. And yeah, it's it just always feels so good and fun. I've developed little shortcuts for how I use the the shaving soap. Like I, I don't use the little extra bowl. I just splash some water into the soap container and use my brush in there. I lather that up brush my face and then you know what after i shave like the parts of my cheeks and neck that i like to shave i do it again to get a slightly closer shave wow yeah that's that dude some people like that shave their whole face do like three pass methods and i'm not gonna get into like the nuts and bolts of of wet shaving because i've had a beard for a long time but like i'm not gonna do that i'm not gonna do no three passes yeah that's i'm sure i'm sure will at barrister man is happy when people do because it's like that might be some more shaving soap exactly going down that drain so 
if you want to check out the great products that Will, our friend Will from Barrister and Man, has put out into the world to enjoy wet shaving, grooming, getting ready for family gatherings, or just looking good on Zoom, like I have, because I, you know, I had a giant beard last week, and now my beard has been retracted. Uh, you look great, by the way. Dude. Hey, thanks. I got glasses for the first time too. Uh, Those look good. Go to Barrister and Man and use code the Dive Down twenty twenty two. We have really good promo code synergy. Yeah. It's one code everywhere. Good, just try it. Try it everywhere. Try it in your Amazon cart. It's fine. It'll work. Use it. Yeah, we yeah. should put that like in Honey somewhere. Yeah. How do you How do you get a code into Honey? I don't think Will wants us to put the code into Honey. That pretty much messes up his his uh, any analytics that he was hoping to get off of understanding where his audience is coming from. Anyway, that's just marketing, guys. It's marketing. All right. <laughs> On the news desk this week is Stan going to take us through the. New thing that he's been wanting to do this year, the monthly modern metagame breakdown. That's right. Thanks to all the people in the Dive Down Nation who gave me some feedback this week. I put out a call to see what you like about the monthly, what you'd like me to add, do differently, do less of. I appreciate the feedback that I got. And, you know, everyone else out there, feel free to shoot us a tweet at the Dive Down. Let me know what you think about these monthly reports as we consider to do them on the first weekend of the month throughout the year. And maybe we can then do a nice culminating synopsis at the end of the year. So what I've done again is I looked at all the modern challenge level results on MTG Goldfish through the month of January. We had 10 events. One of them includes a super qualifier, which I think is technically a PTQ for the either the new Capera set championship. Sure, let's just say it is. Let's just say that's what it is. We were also missing last week's Saturday challenge because that never got posted by the Magic Online team. These things happen. Or maybe it was not last Saturday. There was some event that didn't get posted. I think it was last Saturday. In any case, what we have today, looking at the top 32 data, is about 51 different decks appearing in top 32s in tournaments in January in general. Hold on. 51 different decks? Like different archetypes? That's right. 51. Now, there's a little asterisk there because you might be able to like put four color blink and four color omnath. There may be very subtle differences between the two, but they were registered as two different titles. I didn't do too much cleaning up on that regard, but 51 different archetypes appeared in this data. And of those 51, 11 decks appeared at least 10 times across challenges. So these were perhaps the most popular of the month. And I'll just read those off really quick. The single most popular deck in challenges was Grixis Death Shadow, which appeared 41 times. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, Dave, remember when we were like playing Magic in Chicago, when I still lived in Chicago, we were going to like, uh, what was the store that's no longer even in existence? Like MTG. Card Market. Yeah, Card Market, notably good store in Chicago. And like, I remember like bringing Death Shadow there for the first time. And I think you were on Shadow or something like that. Just like, Mm-hmm. How far we have come in uh, the course of our modern life, where we have played modern, bought into modern, started a podcast, I've moved halfway across the country, and yet Death Shadow is still there. Yeah, it was gone for a minute here and there in those five years, but now it's uh, it's a very good deck right now. Certainly very popular. Second most popular deck, not that far behind, was Hammer Time, which appeared 37 times in these 10 tournaments. Tell me it's on the wane. I don't think it is. Just to clarify, we're only looking at top 32s. So these decks probably more prevalent as you go further down the ranks. Third most popular was Blink. So this is the four color decks, the Yorian piles, the money piles, if you will, 30 times. Then a bit of a drop off, 
19 copies Merktide Regent, 15 copies each Jund, Crashing Footfalls, and Burn. And then we had Stan, Stanislav. We're, we are fully to the point now where we're, when we say Jund, we just mean good new saga Jund, right? Like no one's bringing out like Liliana of the Veil vale and Bloodbraid Elf that often, right? Not really, no. I've seen them in leagues. I've played them in leagues. And there's a good reason why we don't really talk about that deck anymore. Mm-hmm. And then with 10 copies apiece, we have Yogmoth, we have Mill, we have Amulet, and we have Belcher. Mm. So those are perhaps our most popular, arguably our top performing decks by one metric. So that was 11 decks. This is, yeah, this like it's the modern meta, basically. Yeah. Cool. What's interesting about the 51 different decks is there's a ton of one ofs. Like when you look at the complete list of one ofs, which includes like Titan Shift, Obosh Aggro, Etron, Enigmatic Incarnation, there are in fact 16 one ofs. So, like the other category is quite big. And, and if you want to include two ofs in the other category, that's 26. So, mm. half of the data is actually just people who did really well with, you know, an off brand deck in a particular month. Anything we're feeling like we're surprised is not there. Top, top of your, top of your head. No, because like when I'm looking at this list, and I keep I'm racking my brain. It's like what is missing, and it's almost like I'm almost surprised what's there. And for whatever reason, I'm I'm still continually surprised that Yogmoth is as popular and as solid as it is. And I need to just get past that. Same with Mill. Uh, I'm mildly surprised Belcher is not higher. But I am surprised that Rakdos mid-range is not higher at this point in time. That's a good one. Especially given that Spike recently went on a three trophy in a row or something. Like he got three trophies within a day or two of each other on Rakdos in his trophy race. I'm surprised a lot more people hadn't picked that up. That would be in the three bucket, I think, because there's a Mardu deck in here as well that's really just Rakdos splashing white for prismatic ending. Um, but surprise that's not higher on the list. Can, can we just take a quick second to congratulate our friend Spike on setting a new trophy record in the modern leagues? Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, he set, he set kind of like the known trophy record. Uh, he hit 73 on Friday. 73. And the yeah, season doesn't I was end there. until Wednesday. I was there. I'm so glad to have been there. So I fully expect him to keep trophying and set a record that isn't beat for a long time. I hope so. Yeah. It's a certain mentality for sure. It's like, you know, it's a certain approach and mentality. Yes. And yes. I think, you know, it's like, it's the type of thing that you don't want to do that often, but I think it's, it's, uh, it's really good for increasing interest in the format and for just setting yourself a goal. All right. Moving on to the data again. Of those 51 different decks that we saw in these results, 32 different decks appeared in top eights, and half of them appeared at least. So I'm not going to read all 16 decks that appear twice, but the most prevalent deck to appear in top eights was Grixis Shadow that did it 12 times, followed by Hammer Time and Four Color Blink, which each appeared eight times. And then Regent, Merktide Regent appeared seven times. And then there's a huge drop off after Regent Mm -hmm. when it's all threes and twos. Yeah, super interesting. I mean, if you just look at that top 32 to top eight for Grixis Death Shadow, it's basically converting a third of the time that it was into a top eight from a top 32, which is pretty interesting. Uh, hammer time is a little less than that. It's closer to a fifth 
of the time, and four color blink is a little bit be- uh, behind that as well. Yeah, bl- yeah, blink. It basically looks like blink is blink is slightly better than hammer in terms of conversions, and Murktide Regent is actually quite a bit better than than the rest of them. Yeah, Murktide is converting almost half the time in this yeah. in this sample. Interesting. And I almost feel like Murktide has become this entity that we acknowledge its presence without necessarily acknowledging its power and consistency, because I think it bears so much resemblance to Death Shadow in the actual cards that they both play that Death Shadow sort of absorbs that conversation. Yeah. I'm not sure why that is. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. The big difference there, of course, is Death Shadow gets to play Luris. Right. And Murktide does not get to play Luris. And we've talked about that a little bit, how the, if, if Luris were ever to be banned, that it's likely that people would just get off of Death Shadow completely and go go straight into Murktide. But yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's certainly a lot of Ragavan decks doing well, right? Like Grixis Death Shadow is a Ragavan deck. Murktide's really a Ragavan deck. Hammer Time and Four Color Blink are not. But Right, but, but we will see because Murktide and Shadow bear so much resemblance to one another in the cards they play, Ragavan ends up being one of the most popular cards in, in modern results. Period. Weird. Great. Yeah. All right, so let's take a look at the next. Did you want to read any of the rest of these, or you want to go on to what made it in the finals? I mean, the rest of these include a grab bag, and I think some of the surprises perhaps among them, and again, we're talking about decks that appeared in top eights, are like Dredge and Mono Green Tron, mm. Jeskai Control, which is basically blue-white control, playing like Fire Ice or maybe one or two sideboard cards. But a lot of it is also the usual offenders. We have Amulet Titan in here, Belcher, Crashing for Falls, Oops All Spells, Indomitable Creativity. I actually think both. So creativity appears here twice, and I think both of those times is Spider Space, mm. friend of the show. I love feeling his presence even when he's not on. Yeah. Sometimes just looking at the numbers. All right. As we go a little deeper into this data, looking at decks that appeared in the finals of these challenge level events, 13 different decks managed to reach the finals of a challenge this month. Okay. The single most popular deck to appear in the finals is, again, Crixus Shadow that did it four times, followed by Four Color Blink, followed by Murktide Regent. Yeah, it's like just, it's honestly just like kind of a clean third-ish or so. Like, you know, we're not going to see a dramatic drop off between top eights to finals, but this is kind of one of those things where, again, we see the not huge delta between making a top eight and reaching the finals is good because and I know Stan, one of the things that you like to point to is like, why isn't hammer winning stuff? Like if it's that good, why isn't it winning? Right? Yeah. And I, I do just want to add in here that hammer and Merc Tide are tied. They both appeared in the finals twice. Yeah. But the sample size is vastly different though, because hammer was in eight top eights and Merc Tide was in seven, but it was only in 19 top 32s and hammer was in 37 top 32s. So Merc Tide's percentages are a lot higher than, hammers if you think about the overall sample exactly originally. i mean that kind of gets to i might be jumping the gun here but like it kind of gets to i think the concept that Murktide is almost sort of like a generic good stuff deck even though it's not it's just like here's a bunch of good is it cards good is it threats cards that cycle you through your deck potential sideboard cards that let you interact in a different way when you need to and hammer time has a not singular game plan but pretty straightforward game plan which is like hey i want to equip a hammer on something and beat you down yeah and so Murktide, i think takes advantage of that flexibility more largely when a meta game can continue to iterate against hammer time and continue to say hey look we can't let a deck that's designed around <laughs> equipping colossus hammer to an ornithopter to keep beating us yeah 
And, and I, I guess what you're saying that is because Hammer is such a linear strategy compared to both Shadow and Merktide, it's a little bit easier to metagame against and, and come up with proactive plans against a, you know, a linear combo aggro deck like Hammer Time is. There's very different ways of approaching beating Hammer versus beating like a, a Death Shadow or a Rakdos pile or a four-color blink deck or a Merktide deck that just have different ways of approaching the game altogether. And Hammer, try as it might, can say, hey, I can play a slower game. I can try to beat you down super fast. I can try to grind you out. But still, ultimately, like I said, it's Hammer on an Ornithopter. You know, the thing I really don't want to overlook is that 13 different decks made it to the finals. And most of them are one-ups. You know, we have Creativity, Spider Spaces deck from a couple weeks ago, Tron, Jeskai, the Glimpse the Unthinkable combo, Azorius Mill, Amulet Titan, Affinity, and then four-color Omnath and four-color Living End. These are all decks that we're aware of. We don't necessarily talk about them among the tier one strategies, but they still put up really strong results. And I think that's just important to note that we don't have a format right now that is entirely homogenized by the tier one, even though the tier one is very apparent. Mm-hmm. Finally, seven different decks actually won the challenge. And also, I want to bear in mind that the sample for this month's data includes 10 tournaments, as I mentioned, though we are missing one challenge. Compared to last week, where we only had nine tournaments, the fact that we had seven different decks winning a challenge, I think, is one of the strongest cases for the positive format health that people, and maybe even Aaron Forsyth, allude to really frequently when they talk about modern. So what were those seven decks? Grixis Shadow three times, Four Color Blink twice, and then a bunch of one-ofs, including Jeskai, Hammer Time, Glimpse Combo, Amulet Titan, and Affinity. 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 What is new Affinity? Is that, is that just literally like the Frogmite like yeah. frog beatdown? It, it's Thought Monitors and Frogmites. Yeah. Like literal Affinity now. Unreal. Yeah. yeah. One of the reasons why I'm bringing up this month-over-month change from December to January is, again, bear in mind, 10 tournaments in January, 9 tournaments in December. Of those nine tournaments, we have five winners, five different winning decks. With only one extra tournament, we're seeing two more decks among the winners here. So there's a little bit more variety among those who are able to go all the way in a modern challenge or, you know, an equally difficult event. Cool. And it's a little similar in, in the number of finalists as well. So if you looked at what you had, you know, nine events versus 10 events. So you had 18 decks in the finals versus 20 decks in the finals there's two or three more decks in the January bucket than there is in the December bucket as well. So yeah, I think there's a l- little bit of indication of good of decks more than more decks than it feels like making it to the finals. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think what that is, is not a lot has changed in terms of the format's identity in that period, right? No new cards, no bands, no, no shakeup, so to speak. So in this perhaps, you know, stagnant format, we are still seeing metagame churn from people who are able to identify what those strategies are. And Hammer Time, which we were talking about, like, did it or did it not drop off? One of the data points to seeing how much it may have dropped off is the fact that Hammer Time made it to the finals four times in December, tied with Shadow, and it only did it once in January. Awesome. All right. So you talked earlier about the most popular cards. I know you love to pull that data as well. How is that looking at just a card level basis? Yeah, we can go through these pretty quickly. The single most popular card was Ragavan with 423 copies among the top 32s. 
It's the only card that appeared more than 400 times in these top 20 games. That, for whatever reason, like, I'd love to go back in time and, like, look at this data because having a creature, like, a, a, a red creature be the most popular card kind of blows my mind. It just kind of does. It, it's kind of amazing. I, and I wonder if, like, um, Monastery Sospear was in a similar position maybe this time last year even. It it well, it has been at different points in time, but I don't think for as long as Ragavan is going to be or has been. You know, my Monastery Swisper, I think, was the most popular card a few different times. Although I guess it was always behind Lightning Bolt. It was definitely the most popular creature right, for a right. while. But yeah. You know what I like to think about? Of those 423 copies, how many of them were owned by Mana Traders or a similar rental program? All of them. Probably 400, many, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. So of those most popular cards, the top five after Ragavan... Include Expressive Iteration, Mishra's Bauble, Lightning Bolt, Dragon's Rage Channeler. Yeah. And these are all five cards appear in Shadow and Murktide. And yeah. I think that's why when we have those two those two decks at the top of the metagame, they share all these cards. It's, that's kind of going to remain the case, I think, as long as those two decks are popular. I'm still shocked that Expressive Iteration is as high in the metagame as, as it is. But there it is. Oh, my friend, it is the most popular non-creature spell. Unbelievable. 387 copies, followed by Bobble, Lightning yeah, Bolt. We have Bobble replace like supplanting Bolt even in the two spot. Like yes. that's that's surprising. It's because Lightning Bolt is not very good right now. And so it's not being run as a full playset in Shadow is part of what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, Unholy Heat and Prismatic Ending are the next two in the top five spells. I also actually want to just note that the sixth most popular spell was Again, we're talking about non-creature spells, is Force of Vigor with 208 Whoa. copies. And that being a sideboard card probably indicates that it's just the most popular sideboard card across decks we saw here. If we look at the most popular creatures other than Ragavan, DRC, 336 copies, and then a pretty significant drop-off. The third most popular creature, Esper Sentinel, 191, then Fury and Solitude. Okay, so I know it's been this way for a couple months, but this is kind of gross. Right, it's all yeah. Modern Horizons two cards. The top yeah. five most popular creatures. Uh, I think we yeah. knew that that part already, but um, they're good threats. They're good threats. They're good cards, David. Of all of our top cards, creatures, non-creatures, blah blah blah. Only five of them equaled three or more mana, and those five cards are Fury, Solitude, Teferi Time Raveler, Force of Vigor, and Leyline of Sanctity. Yeah. Everything else is zero. Those aren't, those one, aren't three two, mana anyway. XX. So, so well, Teferi. Besides is. Teferi. Besides three yeah. or more. Teferi. Yeah, I mean, so what what did we learn here? Not a lot besides the fact that like perhaps Hammer's demise is a little prematurely reported. That it did ha- I think Hammer did have a real downtick, but it wasn't it hasn't been a significant downtick. I think it's been noticeable but not like uh like it's been removed from the top of the meta or anything like that. Yeah. To quote, if I may, Ari Lax from Dominaria's Judgment, his assumption was just that it's harder to get free wins with this deck. That for a long time, people could pick this deck up without a ton of experience and just kind of trophy a league or run super hot in an event because, you know, obviously it's a strong strategy, but people hadn't necessarily developed the tools or skills to to play against it. And I think as it continues to gain more popularity, especially among newer format players, I think it becomes a little bit harder actually for people to like fight against it, especially when we have the most popular cyborg card being a two for one against um, this deck in particular. I bet you at a LGS, you can still get tons of free or 
cheaper wins with with Hammer, just because of the way the online metagame works. And right. so I think I think that I think very few people who are like Hammer mains are just being like, oh, I, I can't I can't buy a four zero at my LGS anymore. And so I think that that just speaks to kind of the the dynamics and shift that that we experience on Magic Online. It's so aggressive. Something else I just noticed while looking at these tournaments was that Grixis Shadow won every single time it reached the finals of a tournament. So it never came in second, except the time when on January 16th during the Super Qualifier, there was a Shadow Mirror match in the finals. Mm. Well, that's good to know. What other things do you think you have uh, kind of parting thoughts from this about where you would go for the, for the metagame from here before we get on to uh, spoilers? So my comment about cards that cost three or more mana, it just made me think of Trinisphere. And it made me think that Trinisphere might be a card that is underplayed right now. And whether or not it needs to be in a Tron deck or a different Karn deck or uh, like some other resource denial Ponza style strategy. But punishing people for playing so low to the ground, especially across the top tier strategies, like it feels like something like that is maybe a way to be proactive in a way that totally jukes what people are expecting right now. Okay. I mean, it's definitely considered irreplaceable in Karn, the Great Creator decks. Like that that is a that is a, a staple. It's it's attached to him. It's stapled to Karn the Great Creator. It's along with like Pithing Needle and Liquid Metal Coating. Both good cards. I think just having a plan against Shadow is probably your most important strategy moving forward. And I, for that reason, I think Blood Moon may also be a slightly underplayed card. It didn't appear in any of the top cards that we saw here, though Alpine Moon did. And Alpine Moon doesn't really punish, you know, these greedy four, three or four color decks like the way Blood Moon does. Alpine Moon is good against Saga and maybe against some creature lands or other um, utility lands, but. I would think Blood Moon and Trinisphere are are cards that I would kind of look into, maybe even look into brewing around. But also just, you know, the, the most important caveat is that Neon Dynasty comes out in February. So we might actually now see some kind of format shakeup, assuming there's cards here that can sniff modern, other than the Wandering Emperor, of course. <laughs> I was listening to that section of the, the, the last week's show again. Wow, Shane was not happy about the Wandering Apper. Let's see what other cards we can get Shane to be upset about right after this. All right, I'm, I'm coming in hot. I'm coming in angry. I've given myself three strikes. One, t- I've given myself three times where I can say, yeah, I think that card's cool, but it sucks. <laughs> I can't wait to see what wait, cards wait. that's going to be. You for. can say a card is cool as many times as you want, or yeah. you can be quiet and not tell us <laughs> yeah. that a card sucks. Well, I get I get three. A card's cool and sucks. How so, many, <laughs> how many do Dave and I get? You get as many as you want because you're not as overtly negative as I am. I went upstairs in my kitchen during the break and I got a jar, and the jar says Shane su- says sucks on the side of it. <laughs> Shane has to put a virtual a dollar into it every time. Okay, I'm I'm on board with this. So again, what we did last week, if you didn't listen and you want to hear about the mechanics of the set for some wild reason, go back to last week. We talk about the first patch of spoilers, talk about the mechanics, and also we're trying something eh, not exactly new, but just to keep things a little bit faceted and a little bit more granular. We tr- we're trying to split things up into cards we think have modern play 
and then cards that potentially have smaller set play. And what's interesting is that Pioneer, which we're trying to pay more attention to, I also think we can actually speak to Pioneer a little bit better now because we have exposure to some of the decks and the cards that are being played in those decks since we have been paying a little bit more attention. And then because Historic does have many different cards, then honestly, both Pioneer and Modern, there might be cards that we think might work in Historic but don't work in the other formats. And so we'll start with our uh, favorite format, perhaps. and that Definitely is, favorite. <laughs> yeah, and that is Modern. And I think we have a few cards uh, continuing on from last week that will be primed for potential success, if not role play, in uh, in modern. So let's start with this is a very cool card, IMO, and and Dave, I'm glad you put those on the list because it's Blade of Vioni, one in a black, for an artifact creature equipment demon. Sick, it's the best me- type line ever with menace, which makes sense. And uh, the equipped creature, it's a 3-1 for the creature, and this is one of those reconfigure things. So the equipped creature has base power and toughness 5-5, has menace, and is a black demon in addition to its other colors and types. The reconfigure cost is 2 black black. Again, I'm gonna, we'll talk about reconfigure this one time, and that is you can essentially attach this equipment creature to another creature for the reconfigure cost, or unattach it from a creature for that same cost. That can happen only as a sorcery. And while it's attached, the artifact creature is no longer a creature itself. So, Dave, I think you put this on the list. What are you hyped about with Blade of the Oni? So, to me, this just looks like a card that is kind of in the same vein as what was that what lion cloak is that the card from last week that's like a good stoneforge lion sash lion sash that's like a good stoneforge target that still works with luris it's just what this looks like to me it's a small version it's kind of fragile because it's a three one you can get a little aggro with it if you want to go and get it with stoneforge mystic and attack in with it or if you happen to get to where you can reconfigure it onto your creature all the better but um, it just felt like this was a good additional part of the suite that is not that is a bit more aggressive than maybe even something like um, you know in the vein of what's Nettlesist is that that's yeah. the, the card that's cranial plating on a creature on a living weapon. That was the only thing that I was thinking with this card, and it just felt like it had some potential to be part of a suite there. This is a mythic, right? I believe it's a mythic. Yes, I'm going to look at the spoiler right now. It's weird. I want this to be even better than it is. Like, I want the reconfigure cost to be like a little bit lower. Like, I feel like for a mythic in the set, I was like, I want it to be a little bit more bonkers. But I do think that this is pretty cool. Yeah, it seems so- really powerful in standard. I would say, of course, but um, but what do you think, Stan? Isn't everything? Yeah. You know, something that we had overlooked last week that I think is really important to touch on while we're talking about an equipment here is that in modern, there are really good ways that exist in very popular decks to cheat on equip cards. So even though the reconfigure cost is four mana, but something like a core outfitter or a Sigarda's Aid or a Pure Steel Paladin, yeah. you can spend zero mana to turn your equip creature into a 5-5 five, five menace demon. Stan, do you know why this works? Because I don't see the word equip anywhere. Because it is an equipment, and you know, Pure Steel's uh, Paladin says equipments you control have equip zero. So it basically yeah. gives the equipability onto the equipment card, even though the 
equipment card oh. itself in this case doesn't have that ability to start. That seems silly. I mean, makes total sense if you look at the rules, though, when you when you look at it that way. So I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on this card unless people have sure. some other things to say about it. But I think this card is cool. It's I, I think the pickings are a little slim for modern in this set. And so this one stood out to me as something that fits maybe in, as like an alternate game plan in Hammer if for some reason you want to go a different direction other than Colossus Hammer to me. Or... Potentially, you know, we also played not too long ago, there was like that all artifact Stoneforge saga list that I played over the summer last year that I actually did decent with that was a was like a non-hammer equipment deck that yeah, was yeah, yeah. pretty fun and pretty good that I think this could be a piece in as well. Uh, well, speaking of Urza Saga, one thing I had in the notes here is that I was really surprised as I looked through this spoiler, the final spoiler, that for a, a set with so many artifacts in it, I don't think there's a single card that you would go and grab with Saga and be happy about personally. I don't know if we want to read the one card that's like a borderline target that we haven't talked about, and that is Eater of Virtue. Synthesizer? <laughs> well, Experimental Synthesizer can't be searched up with Saga because it's got a it's it's a colored casting cost. It's a red mana. Oh. So Eater of Virtue is a single mana for legendary artifact equipment. Whenever a quick creature dies, exile it. A quick creature gets plus two plus zero. Oh, its equip cost is one. And it says, as long as a card exiled with Eater of Virtue has flying, equipped creature has flying. The same thing is true for First Strike, Double Strike, Death, death Touch, Haste, Hexproof, Indestructible, Lifelink, blah, 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 blah. I, this card seems way too conditional to me, <laughs> even though it's got a really cheap equipment cost and can potentially add a bunch of attributes to one of your creatures. It's not easy to have a creature killed that has no, you know, stuff and then reattach this and then do evasion. it again. So I, I just don't... Personally, I don't think that this card, that card is great. And so I was kind of bummed, sort of bummed and sort of relieved that there aren't any great Urza's Saga targets in this set. Um, next you don't card think I had Ninja's Kunai? Uh, I thought about that card too. I, f I felt like I'm the person who always brings like the worst cards in front of you guys. And so for you to be like <laughs> Ninja's Kunai, I mean, I, I did look at that for a minute. I was like, oh, you can search up a lightning bolt if you want with, with, that card and maybe that's a thing but i i don't i think it's kind of slow but if you need a lightning bolt for some reason i guess you could try that but davy did put some other artifacts on this list i put one in particular so i put mnemonic sphere which is a single uh, generic and a blue for an artifact and it just says generic and a blue sacrifice mnemonic sphere draw two cards and then it has a channel cost of blue discard mnemonic sphere draw a card this card stood out to me a little bit just because the channel cost is so cheap and it fits with Luris. And if you get it into play for some reason later in the game, let's say, you can actually draw a significant number of cards off of it for a pretty hefty mana investment. But still, it's a thing that you can consider having as part of a recursion package if you need to for some reason. Now, it doesn't replace bauble or something yeah. like that but it could be you know if you're in a deck that has some artifact synergies where you actually want something like this in play that can be meaningful i it just kind of stood out to me as an interesting card especially because the channel cost was so cheap yeah that's kind of the saving grace right is the fact that it can you can just pitch it for a single blue uh yeah like you said it's not as efficient as bauble but maybe it doesn't have to be. I don't know if like the four mana investment for the play it, sacrifice it, draw two cards thing is quite there, but maybe it doesn't need to be. Can I just take a second to talk about the set on a macro level? Because sure. it's going to inform almost every card we're talking about. Let's in zoom such out. 
just in such an artifact heavy set. Here's what I want out of Neon Dynasty. Like the literal one thing I as a player want is for it to reinvigorate my favorite pioneer deck, which is Insol. And right now, Insol is an Azorius deck. I prefer to play the Izzet version, but maybe the Azorius version is better right now. That being said, like I look at all these cards in the set and I'm just like, half of them have to be in soul fodder, including this one. And to your point, Dave, what I like about this particular one in the Azorius version is that this is Bobble in Azorius and Soul. Yeah. And to note, of course, we are moving to Pioneer for this for what Stan is talking about here Correct. out, of, yeah, yeah, out yeah. of Modern, which I think is fair. You know, I was thinking about this card in the context of like an Urza kind of list. I mean, maybe there's some artifact synergy there, but Stan, I hear what you're saying too, is, is that in Pioneer, this might be a fit because of that Luris plus, plus blue, plus and soul kind of thing. And in, in maybe even in a historic context, as long as we're on this card, like it plays really well with things like Black Staff of Waterdeep, um, or that three mana creature, which uh, you can't play in a, in, in Luris, but it's the the animator that turns your artifacts into five fives. Right. You know, I like this with Black Staff because with Black Staff you can cr- turn things into five fives over and over and over again. So that if you have to cash this in for two cards, then you just untap your Black Staff and animate some other cool artifact. Yep. So I, I think I think there's like actually a lot of interactions here to to play with and a failsafe being pay a blue to draw a card with this and you can grab it later or whatever i think is pretty good it just reads like pretty good rate to me generally in a lot of pieces may we can i move us on to a card i I really want to talk about that's march of burgeoning life x and a g for an instant card as an additional cost to cast a spell, you may exile any number of green cards from your hands. This is the March cycle. It costs two generic less for to cast for each card exiled this way. You can choose target creature with mana value less than the X part of the casting cost. You can search your library for a creature card with the same name as that creature. Put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. So... Yeah, I think we originally had this not in like the modern playable list. I moved this up. I think this is potentially modern playable primarily due to Yogg, because what this can do is be cast for really cheap and duplicate an undying creature. So you can duplicate a young wolf. You can start comboing off. Like you're not going to do the thing where you kind of automatically win the game. But what you can do is then just get to a spot where it's like, hey, I need two undying creatures and I need them now because then I can draw like 10 cards and then I'll probably win from there. And I mean, of course, there's a few issues because you have to make room for a card like this. You can't just, you know, every time you add a card, you have to take something away or you have to go to 64 cards, which is not an option. I mean, who says? I mean, that's a good point. I, th- I think there's potential here for something. I don't think this is like what Yogg needs. I think this is just, hey, this is a fun option for Yogg or other decks that want the same type of creature. Yeah. And I would just say real quick, you know, this card, when you read it, looks like Green Sun Zenith, right? But it's not. It's not that. It's not a quarter calling. It's really, I forget who I saw say this on Twitter but someone was basically like, this is this is really a clone. It might have been Aaron from Turn 1 Thoughtseize who said this when he was talking about it on Twitter. It's really a clone effect. It's not a search up and tutor a card effect. And so you kind of have to play around with it like that. And if your deck can handle that, I do think the cost is really cheap, especially when you get into just saying, hey, I can toss some green cards to go and get something at instant speed. 
That's great. I mean, another thing that I was looking at this out or thinking about this in is like, it can be, a, it still can be a ramp spell and a deck that has a lot of elves, for example, or a lot of mana creatures in it. And Yogg also has a lot of creatures and a lot of mana creatures in it. So you could go and, you know, get a bird, extra bird of paradise, or you could go and get whatever, if you need to like ramp and go faster. And I think that's one thing that this card can do in Yogg that Cord and uh, Eldritch Evolution can't. Yeah. One, one thing that I think is really striking about this whole cycle of cards that is maybe easy to underestimate is that the card you pitch from your hand costs two mana or, or reduces the cost of the spell by two mana. And I think that's actually pretty huge. And frequently we think of it as like reducing it by one mana. And yeah. I just like that. I like that yeah. a lot. They scale up fast, these pitch, these pitch cards. It's just a question of how often you can use them and where they fit, I think. But I think if you're thinking about this one the right way, you can you can make it do something cool. Okay, two cards that I wanted to put out for consideration on a deck that I do not play mm-hmm. are Colossal Sky Turtle and Mirror Shell Crab as potential utility pieces in Living End. Yes. Whoa. Right? Just because Love it. they have these channel abilities. They're big creatures. One of them has flying. One of them has ward three. So, uh, you know, but the flying, is, I think, is helpful. And then being able to, in the case of Colossal Sky Turtle, channel to get a card from your graveyard back to your hand if you want to, or channel to return a target creature to an owner's hand to try to get rid of something that's problematic for your deck, potentially. And then a Mirror Shell Crab, you can counter a target spell off of off of it as well. They seem like interesting things that could possibly end up in... in that kind of deck if you wanted to have options to be more interactive with living end than living end is sometimes very specific uses but what do you what do you think about that i do think that three mana on the mirror shell crab to counter target spell or billion less is controller pays three i think that has diminishing returns but i do like how you can potentially use it to protect your combo especially post board like i almost wonder if this is a sideboard card yeah yeah for that reason yeah i mean that's more what i was wondering is like if you how you want to calibrate how interactive your living end deck is this could be an option these cards could be options to help you do that i mean even if you were to say i'm going to go and get a cascade card back out of the graveyard because something happened the first time i tried to cascade in the living end that's something you can do with Sky Turtle, and it's at instant speed. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of potential with these cards. For sure. Good thinking. I didn't even think about that. So I love it. And then the last card we have in Modern. Oh, no, no. I like this card. I like this card a lot. Okay. This is Ottawara, Soaring City. It's one of the legendary lands. You can, of course, tap it to add blue mana, but it has channel ability. Is that an ability effect? It's an ability. Okay, three and a blue. Discard Ottawara Soaring City. You can return target artifact, creature, enchantment, or planeswalker to its owner's hand. This ability costs one generic less to activate for each legendary creature you control, as is typical. This was originally in the honorable mentions list, but I think this sees play. I think this just sees play in as a one of in a number of blue decks in the format. It just it's 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 perfectly flexible enough, it's uncounterable. It's, uh, I think it's going to be a, a good utility card in Azorius Control and other decks, maybe things like Merfolk. Why not? Yeah, I think this could also work in, in Footfalls, where sometimes what you need to do is just get a problematic blocker out of the way to connect with your 4-4 Trampler. 
Um, it's one, one of the reasons why Dead and Gone has proven to be such a powerful tool in that deck is because of the Gone side to just like bounce a goif here and there. And I think this can serve a very similar purpose. Okay, but that was kind of it, I think, for from my glance as far as modern goes for Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. What do you all think? Not density. Not density. I almost said it again, though. <laughs> was there anything else on your your all I mean, minds for besides last modern? week? I mean, we mentioned some things last week that I think have some chops in the honorable mentions category. We might talk about some things that might surprise us, but mm-hmm. there's nothing else where I'm just kind of like when I was looking through the list, I was like, "Yeah, this this seems really really good." It seems like it's a super flavorful set. I think the limited environment looks really cool. That's that, which is the stuff you notice when you're looking at a spoiler. It's like, oh, cool. Oh, I see the limited ideas mm-hmm. here. But yeah, I don't think it's going to have a. I, th- I think it's going to have a surprising impact on modern. But I think it's going to happen through a select small number of cards. I'm going to make you guys mad, but there's a card that I had in the honorable mentions last week that is. It's a four drop that I think can actually maybe get there. And yeah, well, we, we left it off for you. Yeah, what's it called? It's a Sushi the Blazing Sky. Two red red for a dragon spirit, four four flying trample. And when it dies, you can either exile the top two cards of your library and then until the end of your next turn, you may play those cards. So you can get lands off of it or spells. Or when it dies, you can create three treasure tokens. And even though... A four drop in modern is a tall order. And I think if this sees play anywhere, it's going to be in the smaller formats. The fact that it's good rate on the board and it has a really powerful death effect where you can either replace your, where it replaces itself or it can help you ramp into something else. I just feel like this is a pushed card. You know, you can't put it in an Obosh deck, but maybe you can put it in like, some kind of Ponza shell or some other kind of chunky mid-range red deck where you don't have to worry about Obosh because you have a 4-4 flying trample. I mean, so it's it's pushed into a format that doesn't support decks like that very well right now. So that's, I mean, it's a, that's like, that's the balance, right? It's like, so we, mm-hmm. have, we have raw value of a card versus how it actually fits and can be cast and succeed in the format itself. I know, but it's, it's a four-mana 4-4 four, four flying trample. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I just wish it had haste, to yeah. be honest. Like, if it was had haste, it would be Yeah, I mean, that's unacceptable awesome. to not have haste, honestly. You know, IMO. I think I would rather... Yeah, if it was flying haste, like a like Glorybringer instead, I would be like, yeah, okay, maybe, but... Um, but then it would have to cost five mana. Would it? Maybe. That's what Glorybringer costs. Well, yeah. But Glory... Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing. is like, okay, so we have a, a, a four mana flample at four yeah. four. Okay, right. So you have to untap with it. You have to untap with it to attack, and even then, I think it gets stonewalled by a few things. And then, if you, if I almost would rather this get killed, but then, <laughs> you know what I mean. But then, but if you're, if that's you're, my point. Yeah, it's exactly. good both ways. Also, I'm saying, you know I, mean? I, I get. I mean, I get it. I get your point. Right? Is like I almost rather it get killed. But why am I? I'm paying four mana to hope that this gets killed, and then like hopefully get two good cards out of the top, or have something to do with a treasure token. Like that has me concerned. Where it's like, yeah. is is I, I would like it to be cool, but yeah, I mean, like without haste, it's it's a tough sell for me. Well, fortunately, it's a a mythic, so we may yeah. never have to buy it. Yeah. All right. Should we take a look at Pioneer? 
or cards we think could be in Pioneer. Yeah, so what what informs what informs this category, Dave? Is it just like card seems good but not good enough for modern, or is it like kind of predicated on our newfound reinterest in the format where we have better idea about what's going on there? Well, when I was pulling this list together, most of it was thinking about decks that kind of already exist that might need a little push. Because I, I don't think that any of the decks that are at the top of the metagame in Pioneer right now really benefit from any of the cards here. But there are a few decks that are older or maybe have always been a half step behind in Pioneer that I feel like might benefit from a few cards in this set. And a couple of them are, are weird opportunities that are offered just by Pioneer itself, I think, um, in the sense that uh, cards you would never even consider playing anywhere else because but they could be an interesting combo here so i don't think that i saw anything that like makes phoenix better in Mm -hmm. this set or anything that makes you know any of the other decks that we talked about last week of pioneer really but i think there's some cool cards the first one i want to talk about is another black card black artifact card that costs a single generic and a black just like the blade did and this is called Mukatai Soul Ripper, and it is an artifact vehicle, the first vehicle that we've talked about as part of this set so far. It says, whenever Mukatai Soul Ripper attacks, you may sacrifice another artifact or creature. When you do, put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and it gains menace until end of turn. The crew cost is two, and it's a four, three. This card, to me, seems like you would want to play this in the old mono black aggro type of deck and get a lot more aggro. (laughs) A lot faster because I feel like you drop, you know, you can put a one drop down, play this on turn two, then on turn three, you can drop another one of those single black mana two ones and tap it Mm -hmm. to to immediately activate this. You could sacrifice something and replay it if you want to, or I I just think there's a lot of ways to get a break off a really aggressive start in mono black aggro shells with this card. To me, this is this card is like part of a, a cycle i don't know if it's an official cycle of cards that are aggressive two mana vehicles that i think are trying to fix smuggler's copter we have one in blue we have one in black and i, th- I think your point is really interesting because like smuggler's copter used to be a part of the mono black aggro deck and here it's doing something really synergistic with that strategy that also is also providing a ton of value and it keeps growing getting out of hand and it's kind of hard to kill kind of yeah i just think it's like you got to answer this right away like people, someone's gonna hit you for five with this <laughs> with this card, you know? Yeah, it's so. a cool one. It, it makes sense. It fits synergistically with a a deck that has been good in Pioneer. I think it's taken a step back, but I think it's one of those cards that is potentially good enough to make you say, like, does this give this a couple of percentage points back? I don't think there's much more to it than that. Uh, another card that I thought was good on rate, kind of like this, kind of like Soul Ripper is. And it's one of the only ones of this cycle that I think is really playable is Invoke the Ancients, which is a single generic green, 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 green for a sorcery that makes two, four, five green spirit creature tokens. For each of them, put your choice of a Vigilance counter, a Reach counter, or a Trample counter on it. So for five, you get eight power and ten toughness spread across two creatures uh, that you can make have Vigilance or Trample or Reach, depending on what's going on for you. I don't know if there's like a mono green stompy deck that's really been great in Pioneer, but I think if you were going to build a, I'm just going to ramp into big green creatures deck, it's pretty tough to beat something like this as far as the targets that we have available in Pioneer 
I think. Yeah, I wonder if this can coexist in a in the same deck as one of the cards we talked about last week, which was Invoke Calamity, where you can replay this for free and just keep making huge bodies while also casting another card off of Invoke Calamity yeah. as well. So you have to only the only thing about that is that the card that gets the second card has to be a single mana. That's the thing because I looked at this too. I was like, maybe this does go with Invoke Calamity, but yeah, you have to find a single mana spell. So maybe it's a shock or I don't know. It yeah, might be or, tough to play or a zero mana spell. I don't know how many of those exist in Pioneer, but yeah, not, I would say not many, <laughs> none maybe. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but I I felt like if you are playing a bunch of elves, you know, there's a lot of elves available in Pioneer. This is something that you could go right into and just put a ton of power down on the board. Yeah, I think Elves is going to need a little bit more than this in Pioneer. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. Leave the Elves out of it, Dave. You know, I'm just talking about ramping. We're, hey, stay, we're just ramping. Stay in your lane. Yeah. All right. Wouldn't this be cool if it made two four four rhinos for nothing? <laughs> for three <laughs> well, mana. Well, that's why it's not in the modern I know. one, right? I know. Okay. So uh, I think this next card, Dave, you put it on the list, but I was I was looking at it, okay? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to, I, I want to hear you convince me and so it's reinforced ronin single red mana artifact creature human samurai has haste cool it's a tutu Ooh. Mm-hmm. but at the beginning of your end step you have to return reinforced ronin to its owner's hand so uh, it has dash it has basically. yeah so it has dash but it also has channel one in the red discard reinforced ronin draw a card so you okay yeah you can cycle it away if it's not going to be good on board you can cast a Goblin Heel Cutter if you're if you're Dave. I know it. I know it's not Goblin Heel hey, Cutter. Dave, you don't have to convince me. This card is lit. This card's really good, right? This card is so good. This card can maybe see play in modern. You think? I don't think it can see. All right. Well, let's start. Let's. So I will say what I since we're in Pioneer. Let me start with Pioneer for a minute. Mono Red Aggro in Pioneer is good, right? Like it's pretty good. But you still have to run. What do the current builds of that look like? Shannon, you've been playing mono red in Pioneer lately. Like, are they still playing? Are you still playing the like the two two with haste that needs spellcraft or whatever? No, are you no, still playing? It's, it's surprisingly lean because like okay. the uh, the the two drops are good, the three drops are good. It's it's sort of it's it's not as aggressive as as you might think. Right, but what if you wanted to get more aggressive? Like, I feel like that's always been one of the problems with those really aggressive could, red decks. And Pioneer is like they didn't have a good, really good. Goblin Guide. Do I, and do this I is wanna, probably the best one. Do I want to play this over, what is it? Is it a two? Is it a two one that makes you return a land to your hand? What's that one that like briefly saw play even in modern burn? When wayward, people wayward, wayward Guide, guide Beast. beast. And yeah. yes, you do want to play this over Wayward Guide Beast, I think. Okay. So here's the issue with this card. It plays poorly with Eidolon of the Great Rebel. Here's the good thing about this card. When you have an Eidolon down, you just, you cycle it. And and I think for that reason, it's awesome. It, it plays well with Obosh as well. You can cast it off of Chandra 3. Oh, yeah. So I, I think this card is is really, really neat. Yeah. It's definitely novel, which is good, right? Where it's just like, hey, you can, anytime this comes back to your hand, it's not necessarily a bad thing because you can cycle it away. And you don't necessarily have that even with something like a Ragavan or any other dash creature you've ever used in your in your past where it's like, hey, yeah, I came back to my hand, but then I can necessarily I can do something else with it. But Yeah. And these, you know, Zergo Bellringer used to see a little bit of like play here and there, you know what I mean? As a card that was a a goblin guide in non goblin guide formats. And I think 
I think this card is easier to use than that, and you get to cash it in for a card if you want to. Not to mention, you know, this is a card that is an artifact creature, and so if for some reason you wanted to be trying to do something like <laughs> this would be really weird, but if you're trying to get Delirium, mm. it's a card that's pretty easy to put two card types into your graveyard and draw a card off of it, which is nice. It's like what people that's used brilliant. to do with um, Architects of Will, you know, when you were trying to get Delirium for for things. So that seems like a real outside case for this card, but I do just think this is a really good aggressive one drop, and that's that's it. Sold. And it's an uncommon. Yeah. This feels like it's going to be a staple uncommon. $4 uncommon. Wow. Okay. I don't think so. But right, that's one, Shane. That's my one. That's my one. <laughs> I get two more. All right. This next card's interesting. We haven't talked about too many sagas, and it's Hidetsuku consumes all. I like this one. That's that. Do I get one back? Do I get to like take no. the quarter out? No. Okay. No. No. The no, quarter's ours. One black red enchantment saga. Chapter one. Destroy each non-land permanent with mana value one or less. Ooh. Chapter two, exile all graveyards. Ooh. And then chapter three, exile the saga, return to the battlefield transformed under your control. And the transformed side is the vessel of the all consuming. It's a black red ogre shaman enchantment creature with trample. When the vessel of all consuming deals damage, put a one one counter on it. When it deals damage to a player if it has dealt 10 or more damage to that player this turn they lose the game it is a 3-3 can i can i change my apocryphal story that i was known as the vessel of the all-consuming in middle school from last week because that's Did way cooler this? no i said i was i was lizard blades oh right lizard i'm, blades, I'm yeah. now the shane vessel of the all-consuming i mean you you were a little overweight in middle school wow i mean wow so. this guy who wasn't Dave? I mean, I was. Middle school. We all, middle school. We all, we all, middle school was a bad time for all of us. So let's not focus yes. on that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this card rules. This card. No, okay. This card's awesome. Oh, all right. If you love this card, you guys go for it. Cause I <laughs> thought this card was good, but I don't know why. So go ahead. Okay. So I think this sniffs modern play. I think this is not even just a pioneer card. I think it's actually Agreed. more of a modern card than a pioneer card because of, because of chapter one. Non-land permanent mana value one or less. And so just because of the mana values that we see in modern, that's going to hit a lot more stuff. Uh, then it goes straight into Exile All Graveyards in Chapter 2. So that takes a, that takes out a lot of the thing that low mana value decks want to rely on, which is Luris. So it's like, so it's first, here's Chapter 1, you know, here's your jab. Chapter 2, here's your cross. And then Chapter 3 is then I'm coming at you with something that lets me actually effectively, mostly effectively finish the game because it's a three, three, you're probably also running other removal and a deck that's going to run something like this. I mean, of course this is not like some, it's not some crazy wrath. It's not something that is getting the job done against all decks. I think it's a sideboard card against very particular archetypes. It's handy against uh, Stan's favorite deck rhinos. It's handy more than handy potentially against something like hammer. And I think that this is just going to be an effective sideboard card for Rakdos based decks that cleans the board, takes out the graveyard from those Lura strategies and gives them a threat on chapter three. What more could you really want for three mana besides I want it to cost two mana? Yeah. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest problem with this, right? Is like, you can't play it in your Lurus deck. And so you have to really love it 
out of the out of the board because it's going to take you off of Luris. And so that's that's part of the reason that I was a little skeptical. Yeah, what's about the it. home for the deck really for this card really? You know, you talk about how well the first two chapters go together to eliminate a bunch of stuff in modern. I think you're right. You know, this even gets rid of baubles, for example. For you know, it makes your opponent sacrifice them and then gets rid of them out of the graveyard. Like, it's it's got a lot going on. So I could be wrong about where this actually flies. I think the main thing is it's like it's a modern power level card without kind of like a, a deck that immediately wants it, like you said, because these decks are going to be Luris decks by and large. We don't have like some kind of amazing Rakdos or Grixis-based control deck where it's like, I can't wait to have this on my sideboard for a few really good matchups. Now, this is technically in the Pioneer section, and I will say I think this is the best section for it because it's a little easier to imagine the utility it's going to have there since we don't need to contort ourselves to come up with a reason not to play Luris. Where this feels like the perfect sideboard card against any Golgari food deck, where it gets rid of the oven, it gets rid of any cats that are around, you know, it exiles cats out of the graveyard. It gets rid of their food tokens, too. It gets rid of food tokens. Yeah. I think that's a really good call, too. Yeah. And, and the best part about it, of course, is that it comes with a threat on the back of it, too. So it's like, oh, I get to do all this stuff to mess up your plan, and then I'll, I get to have it be something proactive. So... Yeah, yeah, this card is good. Can you fling the creature to hit them for, you know, those last few points to get the, to 10 commander damage or whatever? Um, I believe so. And I, won- I wonder if it almost like enables a combo for that reason with that interaction. That would be that would be something. Maybe. Red black infect. Red black pioneer infect. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking up fling right now just to make sure, but I think it says deals no, it's fling deals damage equal to the sacrifice creature's power. So it's not, it's the source is not the same. Sad. Yeah. Fling deals damage equal to. Okay. Next card. All right. This card I'm going to go through quickly. Speaking of Luris, speaking of Pioneer, experimental synthesizer for a single red. It's an artifact. When experimental synthesizer enters or leaves the battlefield, exile the top card of your library until end of turn. You may play that card. This is my favorite, Dave. Mike Paradinas and Richard D. James collaboration album experimental synthesizer is that the one where they're playing a milton bradley exactly. game on the front cover yep. yeah man yeah i love recording with 40 year olds he just wants to talk about apex twin every time we get together i'm like i never Seriously? liked i never liked dave is a reflex records head yeah all right well the second part of this card says two generic red sacrifice experimental synthesizer create a two two white samurai creature token with vigilance activate only as a sorcery so what this card does is when it comes into play exiles it does the red exile, you may play this card thing. When you sacrifice it, you get a creature, and also you get the red sacrifice, you may play this card thing. It seems pretty good for a single red mana. You know, I was not going to talk about this card, and then I saw Joey Pasco from OMGG Taps talking about this on Twitter today, and I was like, you know what? I actually do like this card. So shout out to Joey and that uh, long-running podcast. It feels like something that you could run with Luris in Pioneer, to do some card advantage kind of stuff. It's much more expensive, but you get a creature out of it too, which I think is pretty interesting. You don't have Bobble and Pioneer, so. Yeah. It's kind of annoying that you can't play this on one. Yeah. You really I mean, have you to play it on turn two. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it like has the um, expressive, expressive iteration. iteration problem. Yeah. yeah. Where you want to play it on turn two when you only have one land out is what it is. And then you kind of go like, okay, if I top deck a land, then I can play it. If not, then I'll play the land out of my hand. Stand kind of thing. How how bad is this? 
in uh, in uh, in Soul Artifact. How bad? I mean, half the set is great in Soul Artifact. That's, I mean, that's a good point. It's like, yeah. Uh, the, the the reason why I don't like this is in Soul is because the samurai is not an artifact, and in Soul doesn't want to have just like dinky tutus that don't do anything else and can't be right. suited up. Right on. Yeah, I just feel like this is a cool card that has another one of those things that has a whole lot of pieces. It's low casting cost because it's an artifact that does something extra. So we will see. Can Next. I drop in a, an Insoul card? Please. A Pioneer Insoul card as long yeah. as Shane brought it up. Enthusiastic Mechanaut? Yeah. It's blue and a red for a 2-2 goblin artifact creature, goblin artificer. It has flying and it says artifact spells you cast cost one less to cast. I put this on my list. I had this in the honorable mentions. Um, I think this is definitely the cheap. This is the cheapest artifact reducer spell like this. That's legal yeah. and historic and pioneer. The other ones are three. Uh, we have Ethereum sculptor for one in a blue in modern. So this isn't some like new effect, but I think that this could be something I think isn't mana is what makes this rough, right? Where it's like, it's, it's two different colors. And I think one of them is currently in white, the three mana value. I don't know what the other color one is. There's another, it's just colorless. Okay, cool. So the reason why I think this one is a cool upgrade to this effect is because the body has flying, which makes it a good insole target as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's and a lot that's of all things, I'm going to say about that. There's a lot of things in here that are artifact creatures that you don't expect to be artifact creatures. Yeah. You know right. what I mean? Right. Like this it's, it's an artificer. It's an artifact. Very meta. Yeah. I will say if there was a deck in modern that wanted to reduce the casting cost of a bunch of artifacts for some reason, having eight reducers at two CMC, you know, that's the hallmark of, of, Rule of decks eight. that suddenly become more consistent. I, I don't know if there's enough payoffs to make something like that worth it, but um, just thought I would mention it. Okay. Last couple cards I had for Pioneer were Mech Hanger. I'm just going to talk about Mech Hanger really quickly. It's a land, taps for a colorless, taps to add one mana of any color, spend this mana only to cast a pilot or vehicle spell, and then it has the, the additional ability of three generic and tap it. Target vehicle becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. The only reason I'm talking about this card is because people are going to try to use Consulate Dreadnought now. I think mm. with this card, and it's going to be hilarious and sweet. That's all I have to say. Consulate Dreadnought, in case you forgot, is a card from uh, Aether Revolt that is a single generic for a 711 vehicle that has Crew 6. That's all it says. And so you can drop a Dreadnought and attack someone with a 711 on turn four. Have fun with that obvious synergy, but I, I don't know, you know, one of the main problems with vehicles, honestly, is the fact that the creatures that crew them die and then they don't do anything anymore. And so if you have a backup plan here, that even it's, even, even if it's expensive and there's some vehicles that you really, really want to play. Um, I, th I think it's the type of tool that could make a deck with a bunch of vehicles in it a little more consistent if there was to be one. So Dave, that what this reminds me of, or makes me think about is like the type of decks where people are like, I'm going to do what is the assault formation style decks where it's like, I'm going to make my, my useless defender creatures be giant beaters. And every once in a while it works. Like that's kind of like what this is. It's like, Hey, I'm going to make my really hard to crew vehicles into cheap, effective creatures because of like, I'm, I'm getting around mana costs and that's really good. Like getting, getting around cost of things is always something to pay attention to. I'm glad you caught this because it's a, it's a, it's a cost reducer. It's a cost cheater. 
it might not be the the coolest and like most effective one for like tier one decks, but I think this is a, a cool idea and a good effect to have access to and pay attention to. Yeah, and I think the console dreadnought thing is like not really probably the A plan for a deck like this if it was to try something like that. But I do think that if you have some other medium sized vehicles that are have good power and toughness, you know, having this as a backup plan when your creatures die is where it could be. Yeah, I wonder if this is the type of card that that can help reinvigorate Mardu vehicles, which was a popular standard deck that is Pioneer Legal, that can also play one of the cards in this set, which is Greasefang Okiba Boss, which is a three drop, but it's a rat pilot. And this reduces the cost of that, of course, of, of the rat pilot. But also Greasefang has this really powerful ability where at the beginning of combat on your turn, return target vehicle card from your graveyard to the battlefield against haste. Yeah, fleet fleet wheel cruiser, that thing. Yeah. Something. Right. I mean, there's. I mean, there is a slowly and surely going to be like a significant number of cards that are pilots or vehicles, and we and vehicles themselves are sort of like a cheat in in themselves, where it's like, hey, you have to crew them, and so, like you said, Dave, having the sort of failsafe where it's like, yeah, I've got a, a multicolor land that's casting the stuff I need to cast, and then I have this ability to use a bunch of mana that I have later in the game to just make my vehicle into something huge, hopefully, or fly, like a lot of them are flying with evasion. So sure, that seems like a fun deck to me. All right, up next, March of Wretched Sorrow, X in a black for an instant. As an additional cost to cast a spell, you can exile any number of black cards from your hand. It costs two generic glass for each card exiled this way. March of Wretched Sorrow deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker, and you gain X life. It seems a little bit expensive, but draining walkers is pretty cool, right? Yeah. It's settled then. So, yeah, I mean, it seems pretty cool. I put this card on the list. I, I just think that there's a chance that this can be useful in a, in a format where they're, um, the removal is a little less efficient. And also, the backside of the card can also make a difference where you gain X life. If you need an out against, you know, it's like an extra piece of text that can help you against aggro decks, basically with your removal spell. And it can be huge. You know, you don't only gain the life that the creature has. So if you're like dying to a red, an aggressive red deck, you can hit their creature for six if you want to and gain six life. You know, it's not the most efficient thing to do, but I do think it's a, a another kind of use case for a card like this. Taking out a Planeswalker is good. Taking out a creature is good for cheap. Gaining X life for cheap is good too, I think. But no way this sees any play in modern. It's just about something else. Okay, moving out of Pioneer into Historic now. We only have a couple of cards for this format. One of them, though, is very crafted for for Historic, I think, and that's Containment Construct, which is a two-generic for a 2-1 artifact creature construct that says whenever you discard a card, you may exile that card from your graveyard. If you do, you may play that card this turn. This just seems like... I don't know exactly which deck you would want to use this in right now, but it does turn your Faithless Lootings into basically not having a downside depending on what you want to have happen and you don't even have to exile them if it's in play you get to decide if you want to bring keep it there so that you can play it so being able to you know draw two, discard two, and still be able to play those cards that you discarded seems like a huge boon for decks that want to want a faithless loot and you also can play lands that you discard too am i reading that right yeah this is a wild one yeah you can play the card so it's not a cast it's a play 
Oh boy, whenever you dis- I mean, this is a really good one. It's it's a uh, it's effectively costed. It's not gonna you know it's not great for two. It's two one, but yeah, like in it's in in a synergy deck, this is really what you're gonna want to see for for discarding for sure. How does that play with faithless looting where? You only have until end of turn to cast it. So I guess because Faithless is just one mana, you can theoretically double spell. Or triple yeah. spell, really. I mean, if you look at like a typical blue-red shell with Faithless looting in it, you know, you put play this on turn two, and then you Faithless loot on turn three, draw two cards, discard two of them, and play play you could play both of those spells, or you could play a land and and one of then the spell that you discard. Like I think that there's there's just a lot. Now, does it work great in Phoenix? Like not really, because you want you want the cards to go into the graveyard in Phoenix usually, but that's why it's important that this is a May ability. In case you not saying that 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 this card goes in Phoenix, but just saying you have the option to decide if you want it to go into your graveyard instead for some reason. Yes, yeah, I mean that's what's really good about this too is like it's an option. It's not like it's not a replacement effect. The Madness Red decks are already quite good in Historic. I think this this goes right in there. It gives them just an option to get more card advantage out of the madness effect, where it's like, hey, I might not want to be discarding all of this stuff, but now it's not necessarily even a downside. If you have access to a bunch of mana, it's big time card advantage, along with just madnessing out the costs for their their cost reduction potential. So it's like, hey, if I have to discard two cards, but I only really want to discard one, this other one is still there for me to use, so... A lot of good stuff here going on. Discarding lands, where it's like, hey, uh, I'm discarding a land because what it lets me do is draw another card, but now I get to play that land. Where it's just like, man, this there's a lot of options here, and I and I and I know in older formats there's a lot of crazy broken potential too, like legacy vintage. The fact that it's an artifact also helps fuel unholy heat in historic decks potentially where getting unholy heat to six i find to be rather challenging and i wonder if because we're talking about putting this in a deck with faithless suiting whether it can co- coexist with unholy heat as well yeah well that's why you want to discard your uh what was that that samurai that's an artifact creature as well so you yeah you know that'll get your unholy heats up too i got a, a couple more historic potentials this one almost feels like a no-brainer silver fur master the Rat Ninja. It's a blue and a black for a 2-2 with ninjutsu, which is also just blue and a black. It says ninjutsu abilities you activate cost one less to activate, and then other ninja and rogue creatures you control get plus one plus one. Historic Rogues has been playing occasionally Ninja of D-Powers and some of the other ninjas that were added from the Modern Horizons cards that were injected into Arena for cash grab reasons. And I wonder if this helps enable that as well, where you get the best of both sides of that deck. It makes your rogues close out games a little faster, and it makes your ninja of deep powers and other ninjutsu abilities a little better too. Do you think rogues is a deck that wants more creatures? I'm I'm not sure I feel like it is. Like I sort of feel like it wants rogues. It doesn't want something that's sort of buffing rogues and ninjas i just sort of feel like it's not necessarily like an auto include into that deck primarily because i don't know if it has even room for more creatures and if this is the type of creature that it wants to have well the reason it has room for new cards is because that deck had been kind of dead lately so i think it's going to need new power 
from some angle to maybe breathe new light into it. And who knows, maybe a, a power crep lord, two mana lord is the thing that'll do it. And it's Splinter. Yeah. Splinter. Yeah, Silver Fur Master. Why is he Demir, though? Well, that's fine. What about that's Light fine. Paws Emperor's Voice? I was, I'm surprised Dave hasn't mentioned this one. This is one and a white for a 2-2 Legendary Fox Advisor. Whenever an aura enters the battlefield under your control, if you cast it, you may search your library for an aura card with mana value less than or equal to that aura, and with a different name than each aura you control, put that card onto the battlefield, attached to Light Paws, shuffle. Uh, I thought about this too, and I'm, Dave, I'm going to see if you agree with me. just doesn't do enough. Like, SRAM and... Uh, core, whatever the heck, is just way better than this effect. It's the same effect. Opinion. Well, it's not really. It's because you have to put the card on light pause. Is light the pause. reason that that I don't like it as much. But I certainly thought about it a little bit. Like if you could target anything with it, I think it would be better. But I mean, unless you're constantly just going to get like the flight. One so that light paws can attack with exactly. evasion. Exactly, that's that's the only one I thought about. Is like I would just get the flight one, but like mana value less than or equal to, I'd rather draw a card. And like SRAM is already not already always a four of in decks like this, because just like SRAM is just okay. So it's like it's almost just like a, a bad draw effect, and you have to put it on light paws when like I'd way rather have it like on a lifelinker or a, f- a flyer in itself or something Yeah, like I that, wish it so. had one ability. If it had Vigilance, if it had Lifelink, if it had something, I think it would help. I don't know. I yeah. could be wrong. Like, this definitely was a card that I stopped and looked at for a while, but I put so many things into this, into these notes that I was like, ah, the Light Pause doesn't make it for me. But um, definitely Mnemonic Sphere did instead. Yeah. I, I, I just wonder if this could be like a one or two of, because your Shrams and your Spirit Dancers are eating your, like... They're they're uh, lightning rods, you know. With Phoenix being the potentially most popular best deck in historic, like I think that's kind of kept auras down since Phoenix has so much removal, and this is just like another extra threat that can potentially help tax all the removal that your other better creatures are are eating. So maybe it's just like a one or two of to kind of help close out the games with some inevitability. Yeah, I mean, in my mind. In my mind, the Windrider Drake is better than this, which it, or I think that's what it's called, where it's a two. It has flying already, and it draws a card when you target it. And then also Sithis, I think, might also be better than this too, which is just the Enchantress that gets played in the Black White Auras deck right now, which is Obzon, kind of. But I don't know. This could figure. This could figure into that whole ecosystem of Auras cards for sure. Love new cards. We have a ton of honorable mentions here. What are the ones you're most excited about? What What are the ones that you can't really fit anywhere, but you want it to work the way I feel with the four drop red flample dragon? All right. Let me go with one I'm pretty high on, but I don't know if it's good enough, but it's March of Swirling Mist. X and a blue instant as an additional cost to cast a spell. You can exile any number of blue cards, two generic less for each card exiled this way. Up to X target creatures phase out, and you know the, the treatises that don't exist. Blah blah blah. This seems fine, right? Like, it's not just your creatures; it's X target creatures phase out. It might be too expensive. Maybe it's too conditional. Like, you can protect some of your stuff. You can get rid of your opponent's stuff. It could be a really big blowout in certain matchups. Like, you're clearing out blockers or lords 
or something like that. You get an alpha strike in on your end. Maybe like they're attacking into you and you get rid of a, a, like one spirit Lord or something like that. And it just messes up the whole game. I know there's plenty of other ways to do the same thing. Uh, but I think that this is sort of weirdly flexible. Um, maybe there's like another thing out there that already does the same thing for a less cost and didn't even realize it. Phasing out is just really interesting. It's a different kind of protection spell. Phasing out is interesting. Outside of Fit Teferi's protection in Commander exclusively, I've never seen a phasing spell be good in the formats we play. Like, is phasing a good ability, really? It doesn't trigger ETBs. No. It's how much better is phasing than something that just like gives a creature hexproof? Uh, you know, it, I guess it's good against wraths. It's better than a hexproof ability against rats in particular. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that this does is it lets, I think it lets you do some trickiness. It lets you protect your creatures and also alpha strike with your creatures. That, that's the only thing that this does that other cards like this don't do, I think. Because if someone tries to wrath you and you're in a uh, creature deck, like if you imagine being in like a Blue Spirits deck in Pioneer or something like that, like Shane was saying, you know, if they're a creature deck, you can mess up their stuff and then attack in by, ta- by casting on their turn. And then hopefully, you know, if they were to try to do some kind of big removal spell against you, you'd also be casting this on their turn on your creature so they come back and can attack the next turn. So, you know, I I, uh, I, I could see it being a maybe. Yeah, it's it's a spell. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I'm not going to use one of my three. Yep. Stan, what's a card on your on your maybe list that you oh, you you asked what ours were that I'll we were trying you. to get in. Okay, go for it. I would love to see Mech Titan Core do a thing. Two generic mana for an artifact vehicle. It's a 2-4. It has crew too, but it also has pay five generic mana, exile Mech Titan Core, and four other artifact creatures and or vehicles you control. So it needs to be creatures or vehicles. It can't just be loose artifacts you have laying around. And create Mech Titan a legendary 1010 construct artifact creature token with flying, vigilance, trample, lifelink, and haste. That's all colors. And when that token leaves the battlefield, and that's why I think this card is actually potentially playable, when the token leaves the battlefield, return all cards exiled with Mech Titan Core, except Mech Titan Core to the battlefield, tapped under their opponent's control. Okay. Before we go on, can you believe this is not a mythic? <laughs> this 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 is the most mythic text box I have ever seen. And it's just no, just we're just a rare. We're, yeah, we're rare, buddy. We got a lot of Voltrons around here, around Kamigawa these days. We got a lot of Voltrons. I mean, I I think this card is yeah. sweet. You know, I mean, I think there's some cool stuff that you can do with it. Um, I like the fact that it's not that it's just random artifacts that you have around. Oh, I guess it's artifact creatures and or vehicles. So it does have it does have some restrictions. Your spring leaf drum isn't going to isn't going to do it. Do it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I misread that when I added this to the list. So that does make it harder to use. But literally, the only thing that makes this possible to do is the fact that when it dies, the only thing that dies is Mech Titan core. Right. And that seems possible. And then it also can still attack when it's just hanging around as a two four. Yeah. You know, when when you're just waiting for the chance to actually do it. So well, the four the four toughness I think is actually what's really cool about this is that it doesn't have to attack. It can kind of protect right. you until you can create your Voltron. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. 
All right. And it's not even legendary. Let's point that out too. Like you can play multiple of these to create your Voltron. The Voltron is legendary, but you can play as many Mech Titan cores as you need to. <laughs> it just it just makes it's it's such a mythic. I don't get it. I cannot wait to see what the token looks like on Arena. Like that's gonna be the best use of Arena animations since Oh, for sure. I don't know what. All right, card that I have on here that I know is bad, that I wish wasn't bad. I'm just gonna say this. Explosive singularity, eight generic red red sorcery as an additional cost to cast the spell. You may convoke. You may tap any number of untapped creatures you control. The spell costs one less to cast for each creature. Tap this way. Deal 10 damage to any target. Explosive Singularity is my favorite thing to talk about in college when I'm sitting next to my lava lamp. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> you just got the black light going. Yeah. Yeah, the big sun. Listening to Terrapin Station. Yeah. I, I'd love to know what Terrapin Station is sometime, by the way. I mean, I just think that this card is, you know... Let's throw this in for a, like a final. <laughs> the thing that's weird to me out with this card, okay, is like, okay, I'm going to tap a bunch of creatures that I was going to attack with, and then I'm going to hit you with explosive singularity for 10. Uh, when I could have just maybe, if I have that many creatures to reduce the cost of zero, I probably could have just attacked in. So I, I don't know what this card design <laughs> is. I don't think it's actually going to go anywhere, but I just think it's really interesting. And I just cannot believe how bad red mythics are. Is this, is that right? Like Shane, how bad is this card? Tell me this, this one, you're allowed to just tell me how bad this is. I mean, you know, I love, I love ambitious tokeny based decks. I mean, it's just, it's, it's wild. I mean, this it's effectively convoke. Like you said, you don't need your creatures to tap for red here. So it doesn't matter because it's just double red. Uh, there's got to be something here. I just, I mean, a 10 for 10 seems absurd. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it almost like I needed to be maybe like six red, red to deal 10, but why not? Cool red mythic. That's so bad. It's not very good. Yeah. It, it seems really good with that blue Praetor, Jinkataxius. Just fork it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's now that's I, ambitious. The thing I hate about it is that you can't play it with Invoke Calamity. Like, yeah, because it costs too much. Yeah. Look, it has a built-in cheat mechanism, but I want a better cheat mechanism. For real. Okay. It's, it's just Urza's Rage, right? Like, is that what we're talking about? It is about? Urza's Rage. Yeah. Basically, with Kicker. Yeah. That's what this is. All right. What else do we have in the maybe list that someone would want would to talk about? Shane, it's your turn. All right. Anything left? Let me look. Okay. Shane, talk about the counter spell. No. No, hold on. Okay. I got. I have. I have one. I actually tell us like. that you've learned how to counter Shane. Okay. First off, I did put the counter spell on the list, but I also put generous visitor, single green, one one creature spirit. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, put a one one counter on target creature, not just gener- generous visitor. This is. I don't think there's anything this cheap that goes into these aggressive Slesnia enchantments decks. Like it doesn't draw cards, but like Satessian champion, for example, costs three, versus this at one. I mean, they're very different cards, but this could be like a pretty steamrolly card. It could be a curve filler. Uh, you double spell with this sometime early on, and then you slowly grow other creatures on the board. It could provide some aggression, some blocking while you're setting up like your enchantment lock. I don't know. It's just it's just too cheap in in this style of deck to not do something right. Who knows? Not the kind of decks I play, uh, but. I don't know. Okay, let's go on a disruption protocol. Double yeah, blue. Speaking of decks you don't play. Yeah, this is my favorite kind of card. Double blue instant counter target spell, the end. 
<laughs> as a God, as a don't, as a don't threaten me as an additional time. as an additional cost to cast a spell, tap an untapped artifact you control or pay one generic mana. So this is effectively like a metallic rebuke, but it 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 gives no option for the opponent to pay three. Like so, metallic rebuke can cost one. However, yeah, okay, right. this always costs two, but you still have to kind of do the same thing. But then it is just acts as counterspell. Yeah. So definitely doesn't go anywhere in modern. Right. Yeah. It does not. Like you would never you would never play this in modern, but over counterspell. Right. Or rebuke Who wants eight decks that play rebuke, I think. Yeah. The I decks mean, that play rebuke would just play counterspell if they were even vaguely considering this card. So Yeah, like you're gonna do counterspell and rebuke before you touch this. Right. I, I just wonder whether or not this is another thing that you can do in Historic Affinity or Pioneer in Soul. Basically. I mean, those already have Metallic Rebuke. Yeah, but this is a hard counter. Yeah, that, that, Do they have Metallic Rebuke in both of those? Yes. Yeah. So, the, I mean, that's the argument, right? Is, okay. is it better to have the hard counter? This is like the Mana Leak Counterspell argument, right? Where it's like, if we're already doing this, are we just going to counter this target spell? I, I just think in some of these smaller formats, the delta between one and two mana isn't that bad because of what we saw with Village Rights and Deadly Dispute. You know what I mean? Like They sure. do a very similar thing. One just costs a, a two mana, and now the two mana version seems to be more popular. We saw something like... Th- this is a horrible example, but... Expressive iteration versus let up the stage in old is it prowess decks where we went from one mana to two mana because the two mana version is that much more powerful. Yeah, I think the real consideration here is what's the tempo of your deck, right? Like that. Like like if you're if you're trying to end the game faster than your opponent can pay three, who cares? Your opponent's never paying three. If you're if you're trying to like get to a point where like we're going to get to the time when we're going to have a bunch of mana available more often than not, then you probably wouldn't want to look at Disruption Protocol because it acts as the hard counter. Mm-hmm. There you go. There's my, there's, my, there's my two cents. All right, last two cards I think we should talk about. Uh, I don't think we should talk about Tamiyo. Sorry that Tamiyo was completed. I don't think that card's very good. Anybody care about talking about that Planeswalker? Nah. Yes, no? No. Perfect. All right, the last two cards I want to talk about because we've talked about all the rest of them in the cycle are Aganjo, Seat of the Empire, and Takanuma Abandoned Meyer, which are the white and black channel lands. The white one, Aganjo, is two generic and a white, discard it. It deals four damage to target attacking or blocking creature. This ability costs one less, blah, blah, blah. The black one is three generic and a black, discard Takanuma, mill three cards, then return a creature or planeswalker from your graveyard to your hand. This costs one less to activate. I just wanted to mention these cards because these are cards that typically would not be playable in constructed formats, but they're on lands. Mm. And so I just really am curious to see how, how much it's going to be, it's going to cost you to have a card like this in your deck to just have it. Cause I feel like there's a somewhat of a chance that, just having it attached to a lamb might even make next snap popular, whatever this is, Gideon's judgment or whatever the white <laughs> effect is, which is like a pretty bad removal spell, even in draft kind yeah. of it's very medium tier, but there's no cost to play it. Yeah. That that's the thing is like, 
after my inability to properly judge Mystic Sanctuary, <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to come back and say, yeah, Dave, these are stupid. Like no one's going to play these. Like the the cost benefit is not there because, like you said, it's like in certain in certain decks in certain situations where it's just like, yeah, what's my downside here? To just just have this spell fall back on a land, right? Yeah, yeah, because it's not they're not zero effects, you know, and the they don't even come into play tapped. That's the biggest thing about these cards is that they don't even come into play tapped. Yeah, so it's like, effectively, here's my here's my sort of planes. Here's my here's my eighty five percent of a planes, right? With an upside. So I don't know. I feel like there is some chance that people are going to play around with one of these decks these cards in decks where they just fit and we'll find out but um i'm definitely keeping an eye on it now to close this segment out i did have a couple of like wrap-up questions i know stan wanted to talk about legacy so one question do you guys know what the most expensive card in the set is pre-selling right now and do you know how much it's pre-selling for i'm using card kingdom as my source for this who wants to guess don't look okay i'm completely clueless you know, what's weird is I would have guessed uh Boseju, but it's a rare mm-hmm. and it's gonna be like a one or two of in most decks. It's gotta it's gotta be one of the mythics, is my guess. Stan, do you have any idea? It, our line of thinking is very similar, Shane. I would have assumed it's Boseju, but because it's a mythic, maybe the Phyrexian text Jinkataxius. So I'm not counting art variants. So Boseju is the most expensive card pre-selling on Card Kingdom right now. It is pre-selling for forty dollars. Reasonable for Bisaju right Pretty now. Reasonable, not forty dollars for, for, for rare? rare. I mean, yeah, that's that's a lot. That's going to have three different arts. That gives you the idea of the. This, I mean, I'm looking now, and the one of the the, the swamps are like three. One of the cool art alt swamps are still like three fifty. So yeah, I mean, stuff's going to go down in price, but it's a huge difference between that and the next band of cards, which is Jinkataxius is the next card at twenty eight dollars. Yeah. Tamio is $16. And then from there, you know, I don't even know what's going on with some of these other cards that they have up high. Of the cards that we thought were playable down below um, Boseju, the next one really is Hitetsugu. Uh, yeah, Hitetsugu consumes all um, at 10 bucks, 11 bucks. Hey, Stan, you're, you're, uh, you're at sushi is 10 bones. Oh, yeah. The Red Dragon is $10 too. I'm telling you. All right. So before we pop out, Last thing I was going to ask was, what's the what's the card that you are the most excited to try to play with uh, once these hit the table? Anything? I mean, Stan, you have to answer the the, the Wandering Emperor, right? No, he's going to a- answer something about In Soul. I'm almost sure. I okay. I have to admit, um, nothing of this set. I mean, this this set makes you want to like play Standard. <laughs> like honestly, like I'd I'd love to play Standard with some of these cards because I feel like they are the appropriate power level. Like to do something cool. Uh, I think Lion Sash is going to be like a really interesting role player in modern in the type of decks that I've enjoyed playing. Uh, that's kind of the one that I think is 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 pretty darn cool. I'm I'm honestly anxious about the effect of Vaseju. Mm-hmm. I think that it's going to be just one of those cards that's just kind of like everywhere, everywhere, especially for a while. And I don't think it's like I mean I don't think it's broken. I think it's just going to be kind of annoying. Yeah, You know what I mean? But we'll see. Maybe it's not going to be that bad. I'm going to say the card I'm most excited to play with is Reinforced Ronin, and you can get angry about that, Shane. You know, it's the card I'm most excited to play with. I refuse with, to get angry, Dave. I think, I mean, it's a red one drop. How angry can I be? 
Yeah. I think Boseju is the card I will play with the most, I'm assuming, but we'll see. We'll see where things go. It's hard for me to pick one. I really like this set. I really like that this set is going to be the thing that makes me want to play some some Pioneer. Because I like it's an artifact set. Every card is an artifact. Even yeah. the non-artifact cards, I'll just tell my opponent they're artifacts. They won't know. I'll play the Japanese anime version. Shouldn't be a problem. I think the Mech Titan is just like, it's such a fun card. Like, that's the kind of card that makes me relive old kitchen magic, kitchen table magic. That I think that's the one that, if we're talking strictly excitement, like, I'm more excited to play that than Boseju because I know I'm going to play Boseju and I know exactly what it's going to do. Whereas, like, some of these weird corner case, fringy, fun, top down design artifact things, they're a little less predictable. And I think can potentially produce more memorable magic experiences. Oh, you know what it is? It's probably just voltage surge. The one minute shock. Yeah. That scales up to four. Yeah. If you sack an artifact, that's probably yep. the card I'm actually most excited to play with. All right. Well, are we going to take a break or you just want to talk? Yeah. I mean, we're going to take a break. Let's take a quick break. And then we're when we wind down, I want to mention um, some recent experiences I had playing Legacy. And we are back. I actually wrote something, a, a small love letter to a format I've been playing lately because Legacy is the format of the month for the Mana Traders monthly tournament series. And I figured, why not try it out since it's a free tournament and it has some cool decks that scratch that itch I have as a Magic player in general. And I'm just going to say, I've really enjoyed playing Legacy the last couple of weeks. Not so much that I'm going to pressure you two, my co-host, to talk about Legacy on the podcast. Winning does help that, right? Winning does help that a little bit. In full disclosure, I qualified for the Legacy Swiss, which is actually taking place on my birthday. I went seven and three, just to squeak in there in 10 matches with 70%. And perhaps for that reason, the Manager's qualifiers, I felt, were super fun. I even did a, a random league to prepare for the qualifiers, just so I can like be somewhat informed about the format and I free rolled my first legacy league as well. And all 15 matches I played elves, um, legacy elves, which is a deck I have tinkered with in the past, not too much success, but this time I did a little better overall. Here's what I'll say to anyone who's ever curious about legacy as a format, especially if you're a modern player and maybe you're trying to understand what the format might be about, given that mana traders has this tournament series going on. The decks are efficient and very synergistic. But they are not as insane as I sort of assumed and expected they would be. Like, I thought Legacy was going to be vintage level, where it's just like, all the games last five minutes because someone is going to win on turn one, and it's just going to be sitting around twiddling your thumbs while your modern and standard teammates at the team tournament are, you know, going to time. And I just didn't really have that experience at all. Rather, what I found across the board was that all these Legacy decks I played with or against are very balanced in such that the floors are similar to modern, where things can go wrong and have to be slow and somewhat grindy, but the ceilings are higher and more explosive. So I've had games that came down to me swinging with like three or four 1-1 elves or like a couple elves and some wirewood symbiotes that can't do anything but just swing for one damage. And I just do that over and over and find a way to win that way. But I've also had games where I'm able to get Progenitus out on turn two and pretty much win on the spot. 
I think I've even lost games with Progenitus out, which is <laughs> pretty impressive considering that it's a 10-10 with protection from everything. And the other thing that was somewhat surprising to me is that the control decks in Legacy are very similar to the control decks in Modern, where I have to deal with like three mana Narset and three mana Teferis, and Source to Plowshares is actually the best removal spell of all time, and it's just like a better version of Path, better than Prismatic Ending, potentially. Mm -hmm. I ran into Hogak a couple times playing Mana Traders, and that is a scary card and a scary deck in Modern that I hated playing against, and in Legacy, it was fun to play against Hogak. I went one and one against it, and it just felt like it wasn't doing anything more broken than anything else I'm capable of. Yeah, and like it operates in a way that we don't even really get to see that often in modern any longer. So like it's like, hey, they figured out how to like do the convoke thing with it. It yeah. worked. I mean, it's similar to the modern like altar of dementia. I, th- I think is that what that was called? Like they played uh, bridge from below. Like it. It was a familiar deck, but it didn't feel like it was doing something on an access above and beyond what everyone else was doing in Legacy. And I think that's kind of what I appreciate about it, is like, you have to play with power, but everyone has access to that power, and you kind of have to do the thing where it's like, either you can win on turn two or turn three, or you can grind, and if your deck can't do both, then you can't really compete. But there's just a lot of different decks that can't do both. I I appreciate that, Sam. I'm rereading Hogak right now, and I'm still just like, why why was my take maybe sees play in modern dredge like it's just, it's just like you read it and you're like man i was stupid we were all so stupid we're so naive we didn't do well on that mistakes and, were uh, made you know we have there's plenty of opportunity for that to happen with the contents of this week's episode as well so that's you know, true we'll see what happens well stan i'm glad you had a good time yeah legacy and i hope that you take it home on your birthday or at least earn enough to have a nice steak at outback thank you outback steakhouse uh get at us i I just think that enough of our listeners have a mana traders account or play on mtgo to maybe consider my advice to give it a shot it's a free tournament if you have a mana traders account you're paying for the price support that's going to go to like other people so the decks are actually cheaper to rent than modern decks are. And in that way, I almost feel like it's easier to participate in an event like this than it might be to participate in a similar event with, with the modern deck. So give it a shot. It's really fun. The dual lands are sweet. And you don't have to worry about Ragavan because it's banned. But that does wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. You can also now leave reviews for us on Spotify. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or just reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. You can also leave an audio message that could appear in a future episode of the show at podinbox.com slash the dive down. Do it. Send us audio messages. We'll do more wind downs where we respond and badger you for the things that you send us. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us while playing Magic with an aforementioned Mana Traders account. Use coupon code thedivedown2022, all one word. Get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Special thanks to our sponsor, Barrister and Man. Use promo code thedivedown2022 with Barrister and Man. Your shaving and grooming products get 15% off 
your first order there. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere in Space Blood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and play with new Is it a denim bouton down? Denim bouton down? Bouton down? Bouton 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 bouton? Is it a denim bouton down?